Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. My guest today is Marietta Viss. You can connect with Marietta at her website, visivecoaching.com. That's V-I-S-I-V-E coaching.com and her LinkedIn page. And as you know, each and every episode, I raise awareness for a charity or organization of my guest choice. And in this episode, the organization is called Enneagram Prison Project, which Marietta speaks to at the end of the conversation. It's a really wonderful and unique cause. So please join me in donating. The link is in the show notes. The link to her website, LinkedIn page, and YouTube are also in the show notes. Now, why is this conversation for you? One of the core tenets of Marietta's work is around embodiment. And if you're like me and if you're like Marietta, a lot of times when we get into personal development, we have all sorts of awarenesses pop up and intellectual insights, but we're unable to make a sustainable change. So a really specific example for me, which I believe we speak a little bit about in the conversation is around public speaking. A lot of times people would tell me, just pretend everyone is naked in the crowd when you're public speaking, or your fear is you're gonna die, Mike, but you know you're not going to die. And while this provided temporary relief for me, it didn't really help me to know that I wasn't going to die when I was giving a public speech because I still felt like I couldn't control the physiological experience in my body. So with embodiment, it really invites us to deepen our awareness into what's happening physiologically inside of us. And can we actually, in some way, allow it to be here? So it's obviously... Uh, much richer and deeper than that. But Marietta really speaks to this in her work and how it was sorely lacking in her classical training as a teacher and psychologist. We also talk about the power of group and community and how healing it is to be seen in a group where there's some sort of common shared experience. And maybe a specific example of this would be Let's just say I was in a group of 10 other people and I started to speak about the challenges I had in my relationship with my father. That would be not only incredibly healing for me, but it would probably invite all of the 10 people that are in the circle with me or in the group gathering with me to reflect on their own challenges with their relationship to their father or another relationship in their life where they've had challenges. And so the healing of one person or the experience of one person can be this shared communal experience. And I think it's a challenge that we have in our industry of personal development and leadership development that we think we need to do our healing in our own corner, but it's actually really powerful to have some sort of shared experience. And Marietta is a wonderful facilitator of group experiences. So we speak a little bit about this in relationship to her work and why she thinks it's so important that we all bring our inner work into communities and into groups. 
So with all of that said, let's settle in, take a deep breath. and enjoy the wisdom and insight that Marietta is going to share with you right now. Welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning, Marietta. Thank you so much, Mike. <laughs> Great to be here. Yeah, I've, I've really been looking forward to having you on. There's a, a lot of alignment. I, I immediately, when you and I got on a call together a few months ago now, there's a, a felt sense of safety and connection. And I, I trust that a lot of beautiful things are going to emerge in our conversation today. Mm. And so from, from this place of connection, I, I love starting my interview with what I imagine you know is coming. I ask, what was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up? Yeah, I knew that was coming, but I forgot. So yeah, and thank you for those kind words. I felt the same. I immediately have like a visual of us sitting in the kitchen where we ate. And I'm from the Netherlands, and it's usual that we all eat together every evening. I, I know in America, it's not always the case, but we're we're always sitting down at the table. So that's one part, right? There's a there's, there was always also this moment where my mom had dinner ready. My dad had a bicycle shop and then, and it was, you know, his business. So, you know, he, he had always had things to do. So I remember often that she would call like, are you coming? Are you coming? We're waiting with dinner. You know, we were, we would wait for him to be home to, to eat. So that's, that's one thing. Yeah. What else is there? I mean, I'm in the middle of three children. So that's, that's been a huge part of my shaping as, as we say in somatic, right? It's kind of how are we? How, how do we grow up? Yeah, let me let me take a moment to feel into the dinner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely a lot of conversation. I I you know, my main thing I think from being a middle is is like the the issue the issue or the theme of being seen or not being seen. Mm. So that's been that's been for me. So I feel like we were sitting there together and having dinner, but there was also something about what's my place here and 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 how how do I merge? I have more of a merging quality than maybe uh, standing out. So I find it a super fascinating question, and I don't. I think there's more to it, but I think the main the main thing for me is that we were always together. We always ate together, and we had our preferences and our distaste. We we had to eat everything. Mm. We we didn't like something. We still had to eat it. And yeah, it was it was kind of a moment of gathering as a family for sure. I think that's that's the main I would say about our dinner time. Yeah, beautiful. the The bit about seeing and being seen seems foundational. Like it's it's one of the big headliners on your website, and it feels really foundational for what creating with this podcast and the way that I'm moving through the world as well. And so I, I think that I, I name that just to say that might be the undercurrent of a lot of what we talk about. I'm also really interested in kind of just jumping right into shaping. You said that being the middle child, kind of there's an element of shaping there, as, as you would name in somatics. And could you just say a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It's quite literal because somatics, you know, soma is, is the body and it's a Greek word. It's, it means the body in its in its aliveness. So it's it's working with or through the body, really. Um, you can work with the body, like having a massage, but it's this is more like how the shaping is about how you show up in the world and literal shaping, like really what's your 
shape as you walk into a room and you're meeting new people? Are you, is your shape one of excitement to meet new people and you're open and you're looking around or is your shape pulling back a little bit and, and hesitant, which would be more me. So in all kinds of situations, we show up with our body, right? It's not just our mind showing up. And the shaping is, yeah, I mean, it, it, this could be quite a long story. So tell me if, if I, if go, I go a little bit too far, because it's very interesting because you could, you could say that uh, what our brain and our like dispersed brain throughout our body does, right? Our whole system of neural system. It's, it's always on the lookout for safety. You mentioned safety uh, right in the beginning, right? How, feeling safe. Well, how do we know? We, it's, we don't have to think about it, of course, because if you think about it you're, and you're not safe, then you're, you know, you're, that's, you're ba- in bad luck, right? So it ha- it's an immediate, it's called neuroception, right? It's kind of an immediate communication of what's outside of me and how does that land in my system? So when we talk about shaping is how do we organize ourselves without us knowing it's our body is doing that for us to feel safe. Mm -hmm. So for instance, emotions, like if you would say, which emotion for you was not welcome at when you were growing up, you know, there might be, there might immediately be something coming up for you. And for me, let's say it was one of the things was like, you know, when I, when I would feel like sad, I, I didn't want to cry in front of everyone. I just went to my room and and kind of went, you know, took some time for myself. Not to say anyone told me you can cry, right? That happens too, that it's like boys don't cry, girls don't get angry. There's messaging, of course, too. But it, there's also something about us that we kind of pick up on something that may not have been the intention of like the parents or, 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 or uh, our family. And uh, then we start to organize ourselves. That's a shaping process. So meaning when I cry, I have, I have this sense it's not safe to be here. So I need to isolate myself. Sometimes I can go to my room. If I can't go to my room, I can isolate myself by going outside of my own presence or my body, right? I dissociate. I leave kind of, I leave myself to be able to deal with the situation. Now we know this from trauma, right? It's, it's, it's a very... It's the baseline for trauma and the way we can deal with trauma. Well, yeah, this is this is not, but it's also a very normal process for every single human to orient towards safety, and that's that can go a long way. You can you can go your life and never know you have this tendency, this pattern, what we call a condition tendency, to uh, move away from certain things because of your shaping history where you've learned. In a moment, mostly where you couldn't do anything else than have a have a, a somatic reaction because it's even before we talk, right? Before we're able to use language. So it's really also what it the beauty is that we are so adaptable that as you run into that, like, wait, you know, this is what I'm always doing, and you start to become aware of it, you can start to practice to do to not do that, but to do something else instead. But so the shaping is really like, it's really interesting because it's also shaping is not just about the family system, but also about the culture, institutions, right? Landscape, spirit. That's how in the, at the Strozzi Institute where I trained, um, we talk about it. So it's, 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 it's an interesting path to explore your own shaping history, but also when you're working with other people to see where they're coming from. And I think the uniqueness with this me- uh, method is that it's really seen as something that is 
living in your cells and your tissue. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar with that model, if you will, as well. I have, mm. I did a course through Coaches Rising called The Power of Embodied Transformation. And, and Richard was one of the presenters and several other people like Stacey Haynes, I believe, uh, mm -hmm. also under that umbrella. Yeah. I found it, it was enlightening to understand that as you named, there's, I guess there's a natural temperament that we're born with. And I think it sounds like you and I share that we probably naturally oriented with like a moving away from whether mm -hmm. it's conflict or social engagement that went under duress, what helped me and still to a certain extent helps me currently feel safety is if I retreat and, and pull away. Yeah. So there's like natural temperament, but then there's our family system, like what is celebrated in our family and also what's rejected. And then we're also heavily influenced by all of the different systems that we are operating in. So there's cultural norms, there's, religion, there's our government, there's capitalism, like there's, there's so many different things for me, I'm naming systems that I operate in that. Yeah. yeah. Like behave, certain behaviors are accepted for me as a man and certain behaviors are not accepted, even with quote unquote, perfect nurturing, accepting household. Mm -hmm. There's I, a lot of my personal ways that I felt rejected were when I left my household and was in school where I saw the way that other boys were celebrated. And, and I was like, yeah, being gentle and shy is not a very attractive male quality. It seems to be like an attractive partner and eventually be successful in business. And like, what does success mean? And, you know, shaping really boils down the, to me, it boils down the essentials of like, what are all the ways that we are influenced and, has actually helped me foster a lot more compassion towards myself mm. and empathy towards other people. It's a really beautiful thing to understand. So I love that we're like getting right into it because I think yeah. it's, it's really important to understand all the things that are influencing us. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you bring in compassion because I think, you know, the, the biggest thing is like, uh, is also, I would say self-acceptance. But it helps also to understand, okay, that's when that started. And I often see people want to then move away from that thing that they don't like about themselves or they get stuck in or it's not helping them. And it's a very natural, you know, inclination to like, okay, let's not do that anymore. I want to do something else. And then that gets kind of like almost like fixed, a hard fixed thing inside yourself. While you say when, you know, com be compassionate means like you're, it looks, sounds to me more like an integration. So I can, ex yeah. I can accept myself and have compassion for myself for being in that place where I needed this. And now I may not need it anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, to make it, give an example, can you, and I practice with this myself, because it's like an ongoing practice. I'm not at the end. <laughs> I'm not ready yet, but <laughs> But like uh, in a session where something happened and I had to speak up for myself because I felt very much, I felt unsafe in a, in a certain session and that I wasn't leading, I was a participant. But for me to speak up and speak my need, that was so hard. Like I felt like I felt I was with, withdrawing. I was like out of, you know, I had to get myself back in myself and like choose a moment to then speak to what I needed. 
And I think that's the work I've been doing that I'm now able to see that I'm in that space. I'm, I'm in that reactive pattern and I can then choose, okay, where, and I chose a moment where I could speak to that and was very liberating and also very hard. And I was, I felt ashamed to even like bring it up, you know, there's all that too, but to be able to kind of turn that around and, and then step into a new way of dealing with that situation was, was, yeah. Yeah. It was actually, Kind of amazing honestly yeah what yeah. is it what does it look like in that moment because i i have a similar pattern there where speaking yeah. up for me is extremely edgy so mm -hmm. an example that i name a lot on this podcast and, and try and be as open as possible about is that for most of my life public speaking being seen in front of any amount of people or even telling a story in front of a small group of people even people that I otherwise in a one-on-one -on -one conversation am extremely comfortable with and feel safe with, it brings up, there's an arousal in me that feels or has felt historically incredibly overwhelming that, yeah, there's like the anticipatory anxiety that I could feel in my body, like my heart would start racing and my palms are sweating and my my thoughts are just spiraling all over the place, really trying to conjure up any way that I could not do the the speech or the speaking up for my needs. And it's been, there's been lots of different things that have been helpful for me in like meeting myself where I am with what, what my edge is and like taking the small risk and kind of building on that. Mm -hmm. And I'd be curious to hear how that has looked for you personally, if we could talk about that specific moment where you spoke up at, at yeah. that meeting or, or anything otherwise that comes up for you. Yeah. yeah thanks for, for sharing also your story there. It's so, so interesting because one, what I immediately notice is like, it helps to know you're not alone in this, right? That's one thing because it feels so isolated and you feel like you're the only one who's like having this tough time with, the, the kind of normal things that you're also describing. So it's, I think that's one thing, you know, being able to connect to others helps yeah. a lot and hearing that other people have the same. But, and I also, uh, as you were talking, I was also rem remembering that I, at the, my first job was like teaching at the university. I studied psychology and I was, and I had to do, I had to sub for another teacher or lecturer, whatever it's called, a lecture on the history of psychology. And I felt so, <laughs> I felt so that was not my thing. To have like a 200 or I know hundreds of students in front of me and I did it it was almost an out-of-body experience for me because I didn't I felt like this is not mine this material I can talk about it but it's it's merely like it's fact so one thing the journey for me was like finding something that's really embodied in me and that I've lived through and that I can speak to from an experiential place from a place I've been there and I understand the process and the journey right how to how to go from a very heady person to uh, like uh, mostly, sometimes not, but mostly embodied and more present person to life, right? Being present to life uh, instead of living from the head. So having something, you know, when I, when I talk about, you know, right, like right now, this is like, this has been my journey for, I'm 55 until 40. I was definitely on, not on that track, but then from there where I had a crisis, you know, I was able to, touch base with my embodiment through all these different ways. And so that's, that's one part of it. But then in the moment when it happens, like that very moment, this, this week, 
um, where I felt totally activated. And I'm sure you've had guests talk about like maybe the, you know, how that nervous system has like two modes, the stress one and the peaceful one, parasympathetic. I always use that as the P, parasympathetic peace. So totally in my stress mode, right? And I, like you, I, I recognize the symptoms of that, knowing that I'm in that place, feeling very light, almost like my body loses weight, you know, and there's there's a whole lot happening in the chest area. It feels very uncomfortable. It feels very much like I need to get out of here. Well, I know this is a place actually where we do the work to be with this. I still wanted to run away. So it's a very, you know, your your eye your eyesight narrows. There's a tunnel vision. The only thing I could think about was like, how am I going to get myself out of this place? There were questions being asked. I was like, I don't care about these questions, you know. It's becoming the most important thing. And it's, I mean, we can all understand why we have that because we're vulnerable creatures. You know, we're walking with our heart exposed. So everyone, you know, it's, but still, even after, you know, there's 15 years of practice to start to recognize this. And I do stay with it. So that's my shift, definitely. So it shows up as something that's super intense. And it's very important. And it's also, I don't know, there's there's just in that moment, I cannot see the other person even there. I don't feel connected to anyone because yeah. I feel I just need to take care of myself. And there's danger outside. Yeah. So it, it was super, in, it was very intense, but it was, yeah. I don't know. How did you, what question did you ask about that? That was this one. I don't remember if I answered your. Yeah. yeah. I think what my main curiosity when I asked the question was just around, I guess, I guess two parts. One, what do you notice is happening within you, which mm -hmm. you, you already really named it the, the way that you feel disconnected you have tunnel vision there's just there's really not much awareness around anything other than like this this is crisis mode it feels a little bit like survival it sounds like like i i don't know what to do here and the other part of my question was just around which you you started to answer there mm -hmm. what how do you allow yourself to be there if you will how do you arrive in that moment and and one of the things that you named there is just you don't run away right like you're able to breathe with it and, and be with it and, and notice it so yeah yeah and that that is a big thing because i mean when i don't know if someone listens and they have this it's not to say you have to force yourself to become present because you know this 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 mechanism that i have to go away has you know, had good reasons in the past, you know, there, there's something about that, that if you, if you push yourself through, or if you force yourself to get back to it, I, I kind of see it as you're building kind of a new shield on the old shield that's there mm -hmm. so that you become even more hard or like impenetrable or so there's something about, it's a very, I would say the process it's, is very slow to learn to be present to that. And even if you only have awareness at first and then can soften a little bit, one breath at a time, because I, I realize I have like 15 years of doing this, doing these practices for myself. When I started with the, you know, training with the Strozzi Institute, I remember that I had my first session. I walked out of the room many times when things got in this kind of, you know, when I got activated, like I, I just shared. So it takes a long time. and. 
I was, it was, I, I had kind of like a, almost like a, I, I, I also saw what was going on with me. I knew what was happening. I was activated by it, but there was also an inner knowing that in the end, I want, I was desperate to share it. Mm-hmm. I was just finding like, what is a good moment for this? Can I, is it, and that's the other part I talked about, like the middle child. Can I take, you know, can I, can I be at the center of attention? Can I ask for some space and time to share about me here? And I felt very like, oh, I don't know. Is it, is it okay to share? Should I wait? When should I do that? And, and then we had a breakout and I could share. But, um, you know, I think my, my go-to first thing, if I'm very activated, is just is breath, right? Because uh, we also know that if we, you know, when you breathe deeply in and long out, you know, the heart, heart starts to slow down a little bit. So it's just kind of the mechanics of the, of the nervous system that breath will get you back there. But I also just want to normalize, you know, the nuance of it is sometimes, sometimes you just, you know, it takes longer and you can't ask from yourself to come back and be in conversation. You know, I could easily imagine myself, let's say five years back, where I would have noticed being activated and could only come, you know, talk to that guy like the, the week after. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that nuance because I think there's a lot of talk about challenging your comfort zone, going out of your comfort zone, like identifying your edge and going there. And yeah. it can lead to if that's the only thing that we're leaning on, it can lead to all sorts of different shame spirals, which it has for me in the past mm-hmm. where I might, there probably was a part of me that wanted to speak up, but I didn't speak up. And, and then I can get buried in the, well, what does that mean about me that I couldn't even speak up in front of a group of six people and blah, blah, blah. Right. So the nuance of it, that, that sounds a lot like compassion to me as well, that yeah, it's, it's okay. I, it just wasn't, it, it takes time. It, it's yeah. uh, this condition tendency, like you named before, is deeply embedded in me. And yeah. so to, to hold space for both of those things, it it allows for kind of a more organic unfolding in my estimation that we're not like, you know, pushing our way so mm-hmm. hard against the grain. There's sometimes it's helpful to do that and then integrate. And other times we probably aren't ready yet. And, and that's okay. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I guess, you know, and it shows up different for different people. I I recognize the shame as well. Shame can be a big, you know, shame and fear are are kind of those spiraling emotions, right? Where you, if you feel shame, then you start to feel the shame that you feel the shame and it kind of spirals you down. Same with fear, right? Fear causes like being afraid of being afraid. And then, Yeah, so that it's it's again. I guess it comes back to that self acceptance, which is super hard. Mm-hmm. It's super hard, right? It's not like okay, I just have to accept myself. <laughs> that's, it's not really, uh, yeah. And uh, you know, for me, also another thing is that you know, wanting to figure things out by myself because I feel safe. I need. I also need space. You know, I'm pretty. I'm. A, I would say I'm a social introvert. I'm pretty social, but I definitely need my time by myself. So I've, I've, yeah, there's something about working in communities that, that kind of, for me, it's like my next growth edge. I host a community sessions and that's different than when you're part of the community and you're one in the group, right? So which was the practice I just talked about where something happened, I felt unsafe. 
I mean, it wasn't, you know, there was nothing unsafe about it. I was in my own room, but I still, right, you still feel that. There's something about how do you do, how do you work with this in relationship, right? As you shared some of your personal story that made me feel more, okay, I, you know, I, this is a good place to share my story. Mm. So there's something that we are, right, they call it co-regulation, where you're like, our nervous systems communicate, our bodies communicate through energy and we feel, we can sense, okay, this is a good place and we can practice. Can I show up a little more in this space to share myself or do I need to retreat a little bit, you know? Yeah. Ah. So I know that you want to talk about community and the, like it's place in personal development and personal growth. Mm -hmm. And I'm super passionate about that. And I want to get there, but before that, we've brought it up a couple of times, each of us once, I think. I want to talk about conditioned tendencies because yeah. I think that's uh it's basically a pattern identification is the way that yeah. I would describe it. Like the thing, our default response to something. But I'm wondering if you could just say a little bit more about what conditioned tendencies are. Mm, yeah. So when we talked about the shaping, right, it's like what we do in those moments that our body looks for safety, that when we start to practice that, practice is kind of like we do things over and over, it becomes a habit. So we call that practice in, in somatics. So when we, that starts to become our condition tendency, because we, you know, let's say our body cho chooses to withdraw somehow. And I agree with you, there's some temperament, temperament probably like underlying that uh, tendency. And, and it's successful because you felt safe, right? Then it becomes easier to do that next time and next time. So that's basically, you know, that thing you do. And you can feel, if you, if you think about how do I show up under pressure? You know, when something happens, like, and we have a practice for that, like in somatic, right? We, you're, we do a grab practice where we, something in our life grabs us. And that can be quite literally, I can grab your, your wrist and then, and then you can feel your body responding because you can think about it. How do I show up when I am under pressure? But it's more like, so what is the first thing my body does, right? And when I do this with in my coaching practice, for some people, when I grab their wrist, they turn to me and, and there's a sense of like they want to punch me, mm. you know, and they want, they, they've never done so far. But uh, others are maybe looking at me, but more from a very, um, maybe let's say collapsed body, like more like I'm giving in, okay, you win kind of thing. And looking at me like caring about the relation, like that could be kind of appeasing. Mm. Or people who will go or just stiffen up, right? And then and then kind of leave their own body. And it's super interesting to start to know how your body responds, because that's the very first thing that happens. And then you'll have some behavior and then you'll have some story, right? So we often think the story comes first because that's what we're putting our attention to, right? It's like that's where, where we are all the time. But if you, um, I kind of like to see it as a slide. It's not a very original metaphor, but it's because, um, uh, you know, when that happens, you find yourself kind of like immediately on top of that slide where you then, you know, fall down to the ground in your reactivity, Right, it's a very fast thing, and um, when you start to learn to notice yourself and and how your body responds to moments of pressure and stress, and when you get activated, your conditioned tendency will show up a certain way with certain sensations. 
You know, you you can start to to um, it's almost like you're slowing it down, and you can start to feel ah, there goes my oh my chest, my jaw, my breath, and there's this like kind of like oh, and now I can I I'm noticing I'm stepping up the ladder of the of the slide, and I can actually pause, take a deep breath, and kind of wonder what you know what is asked of me in this moment. Oh, maybe I need I, I'm going to step down. I'm not going to go down the slide. You know, something like that is uh, is kind of how I like to describe it. Mm-hmm. So the conditioned tendencies, that thing you always do without choice, it's it's ingrained in you, it's embodied, um, and uh, where you're under pressure and and you're you're you know you're surprised by something outside of you. Um, it could be as simple as someone cuts you in traffic, right? And you can yeah. immediately go there. It's not mm-hmm. always that. Uh, yeah, yeah. What are you started to hint towards it, but what are the and I maybe I'm thinking of something different, the different types of responses that people have, like there's there might be let's just let's just stick with that example there. So someone cuts you off in traffic, your response might immediately be without thought. I want to like flip them off. So that might be uh, moving towards in in the situation of conflict. It might be a like retreat. I, I don't want to mess with that person. They they might kill me. They might have a gun in their car, mm-hmm. something like that. And I think I'm missing at least one or two. I, I remember moving towards, moving away from as a, a initial default response. Is there more there? Yeah, I would say the moving against is kind of the fight, right? There's fight, flight, freeze, if you will, right? And so it's fight, moving uh, against. You know, moving towards is more like appeasement and 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 moving moving away, withdrawing. But fight, flight, freeze, appease, dissociate is kind of the ah. life we would say uh, in somatics. Yeah, and appeasement is like that. You know, where I said you want to want to take care of the relationship. Like I know you heard me, but are you okay? Are we still okay? You know, there's there's that, uh, and it's just, yeah yeah. So and and starting to recognize those you know those one where are you that's like a first really great thing to be aware of mm-hmm. where do i go because the reactive behavior that follows is usually not something that we're going to be proud of you know it's like yes. oh my gosh i was shouting in traffic again or like you know there's something about that reactivity that's very human it's very normal but also not a very you know um we call it reactive right and the other side is if you have choice you can be responsive mm-hmm. Now we all will st- keep on yelling sometimes in traffic. I mean, you know, it's not like we can never do that, but um, I guess one other thing that's maybe uh, interesting to talk about with this is if you look at what what do you value, what matters to you, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the great things about this working through the body is that we can care about something deeply and still show up totally different in the world. Right. And, and it's like, wait, aren't you that caring person that cares for peace or whatever it is? So um, working with this can help you to be aligned more with what you care about. And for me, that's always when we do like practices to center into ourselves and reconnect to what is it that matters to you? What do you care about? I find that always so simple and so impactful mm-hmm. because I mean, I think a lot of time we live our lives so disconnected to what's important to us. And who's going to who's going to remind us, right? No one will. So, 
And this, this like noticing your reactivity can bring you back to, oh, wait, if I, if I look at this situation, what do I actually care about here? What's important to me? How do I want, and how do I want to show up? And if you don't train that in your system, you can think about it all you want. You can have all those nice posters or whatever, and, and, or, 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 you know, values that you know you have, but it's kind of how do you bring it into practice? And that's, you know, that's that's where we need the body to uh, step into it. Yeah. It would be really nice if I cut someone off in traffic and we start yelling at each other and they go, Mike, you care, you care about compassion. Your values are <laughs> compassion and belonging. Remember that. Yeah. Uh, but I guess we're not quite there yet. I, there's many directions I want to go and perhaps one, which I know is one of your top strengths is to talk a little bit about different practices that we can uh, build into our life so that we do remember what we really care about and, and connect there. Like you said, right. We're not just thinking at a cognitive level about what we care about, but really feeling into like, what do I really care about and where, where I feel that in my body, what would be it could be a practice that you use consistently i imagine they overlap a lot but practices yeah. for clients what are what are some examples mm-hmm. you know when i coach uh when i coach people on zoom of course there's there's often the the like and we were talking about that ourselves before with this call like there's like the back-to-back meetings right mm-hmm. yeah so one thing is like do you have a little bit of how do you schedule your day? I would say that's like an overall, like just look at the calendar and do you have a moment to breathe somewhere? And, you know, very practical because breath, it's so cool because our breath can impact our nervous system, right? Through our breath, we can slow our heart down and we can come back to our, let's say our senses to ourselves, to being centered and to being connected to what's important to us. So um, I always talk about there's some offline practices. So when we got some good time, we can sit on a little pillow and do those. But there's also the practices in the moment, which have our, you know, our, you know, they come throughout our day. But for one, you know, to make it really easy is like using that, the change, the moments of change from one appointment to the next as a moment to recenter yourself. I mean, this is probably not something new, but I think it's a good one to, start to um start to bring into practice because that's like okay i'm closing my zoom meeting some people don't even have time to drink or to go to the bathroom or you know but maybe breath i hope they can take a breath mm-hmm. and you can take a breath more deliberately right so you know having a deep in breath um using you know make, even put your hands on your belly if you want to get fancy and then as you exhale soften your muscles because the you know when we are contri- constrict contracted in our muscles it's harder to become present to self and maybe you even have time for two or three breaths it's almost like you're filling yourself up with aliveness again and as you're softening your muscles maybe there's even a sense of support that you're not alone or there's something there to lean into and imagine if you do that before you open up your next call, you may enter differently into that space. And, um, you know, if you're a leader, if you're a coach, if you work with people and who doesn't, you know, we pick up on that even through a Zoom uh, room, right? There's something about our 
energy travels, you know, when I, I give the sense uh, of safety, if I feel, if I, I feel at ease and centered, then I can invite you in. And um, so that's one thing, breath, but it's more, it's mostly, you know, there's something about, can I, do I, there needs to be some kind of decision to do that. So we work with commitment statements in, um, in our, um, you've, you've probably worked with that in the course you did. Because, you know, I can say to someone, yeah, just breathe in between, but it has to be for sake of something, right? It, there has to be a, some kind of a deeper longing, um, a deeper longing for how you want to show up in the world. And then there's usually for sake of like something outside of you too. You want to have that contribution where you, what you talked about in the beginning and to have meaning, right? We are, we, you search for meaning, right? It's your podcast, but it's, we as humans need to feel that our, our life matters and each one of our lives matters, right? But can we feel that? Mm-hmm. So that commitment to get in touch with why do I want to practice? That's that's another thing. That's something else than the practice itself. But it's really what you do need to be able to, to even think during the day when you're busy, oh, wait, I wanted to breathe for the sake of, you know, there's a lot of times people talk about for sake of joy, because if you're only working and you're cramming and at the end of the day, you're exhausted and you feel depleted and overwhelmed and not fulfilled, you know, sake of joy and fulfillment is another one that I hear a lot. Mm. Um, so breath taking that deliberate transition time to uh, come back to yourself. And um, well, I, I in, there's, there's so much I can say, but I integrated in what we just did, like, you know, leaning into something to feel like what's there's a lot of us are, um, are leaning forward in our life, you know, our kind of, there's something out there and I need to get it. I need to get it. I need to get to it. So there's a there's a less of a sense of being connected to what's already there or what you already have or your you know the how great you already are and what's right about you and what's you know all that there's we kind of move away from that somatically so if you sense like when I do a little bit of that centering and I I have people in my in my um I had a session recently where I said well let's do this practice and then you know, lie on, lie on the floor if you like, or sit against a wall and just deliberately allow yourself to be held by the support of the floor or the wall. And then what if that stands for how, how, you know, how can I allow myself to be supported by what's there at my back? And, you know, you can even do a little exploration. What is there at my back for me? What or who? So, um, you know, that that's something else. I would say, you know, I don't know, practice is a huge, huge topic. So, um, I mean, like the basics, like going outside in nature and, and just, you know, uh, is, is and moving. And, of course, just our general things about eating and sleeping is important, too. But, um in the moment, you know, when, when you're activated, we talked about this slide. Uh, when you're in those moments where you do feel activated, let's say traffic as, as an easy example, you know, the practice is to notice, to notice yourself, to become, to have an embodied self-awareness, noticing the energy rising, you know, really learning yourself or teaching yourself, I should say, um, 
to become very aware of how does my system shift? Where's my energy? How do I, um, how do I move throughout my day? What lights me up? Like, what are the things that light me up that I need to want to move towards? And what are the things that are, you know, restricting me or can, making me contract? So th- those are some examples. Yeah. Yeah. Could you talk about somatic centering as well? And and by that, yeah. I mean, there's uh, my understanding. Length is your dignity. Yeah. Width is connection. Yeah. Depth, depth is history. And then there's also connection to purpose. Yeah. I. Uh, how do you call those things when you drive? It's usually by car, car um, um, garages or something. They have this thing to draw the attraction to a, a certain shop. And it's like a almost like a kite, but then it fills up like a little man that fills up with yeah. it. <laughs> Is there a name for those? Because I always... <laughs> I don't know. I, there's a, I think it's from Family Guy. I don't know if you're familiar with that cartoon, oh. but they, they call wacky, wavy, inflatable, arm flailing tube man is what they call it in that <laughs> show. And I, that's, I mean, that is obviously not what it's really called, but that's always what comes to mind for me when I think of it. Yeah. I kind of, cause I say that, cause I kind of feel if you, if you feel your body when you're like, let's say you're disembodied and you're just in your head, you're like you're almost like a flat on a piece of paper, like a 2D, right? It's like you're that's you. That's how you perceive yourself. So when you breathe air into your system, I feel that's what's happened, the wacky blah 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 blah, blah what you just said. <laughs> you know, it kind of fills you up and in all the directions of the body. So one is uh the dimensions. We you're you're right, there's length, width, depth, and uh, and then the last one is purpose, heart. So I, you know, the way I work with that is, um, so it's a centering practice. So it's a practice um, apart from the breathing and feeling like your system, you calm your nervous system. This is more extended version of that. It's kind of the offline practices um, where you take time daily, let's say, to to really um, inhabit your length. And in your length is your worthiness. We talked about worthiness before. So what I like to do is to to offer contrasting moves. So when you when you're breathing into your length, you know, first start to notice what's there for you, and it's a really nice exploration to start to uh, inhabit length. Like what's what's alive for you when you uh, breathe into your length, and notice if you maybe just go up. Is there also a connection to the ground? And it's taking taking some deep breaths to to sense into the length of your body. And this can be done standing, sitting, lying down. And there may be some places where that feel very open and spacious or some that feel very constricted. And then to realize that there's an innate worthiness that you have, it's in your being here, right? It's not that you need to do something to be worthy. No, it's right there. It's in your, it's in your body. It's in you being alive on this planet. And then there can be moments where you feel that collapses a little bit. So I like to practice that too. So when you collapse in your length, you know, maybe you feel, oh, I recognize this. I go to this place. So when you practice this, as you do right now, is 
you know, in, in just a situation where you're mainly focusing on, okay, what happens? You know, if you practice that often by yourself offline, you can start to recognize it when it happens in daily life. Oh, when this situation occurs, that's what I'm doing. And then from that place of collapse, how can you slowly start to bring yourself back just gently by breathing in and seeing if you can unfold yourself a little bit to come back into your length. So this is that moment that we talked about where you may be activated in a reactive mode and it may take you a week to come back to that length, right? It's like, but this can be a practice. And then there's the practice, the length where you can overextend and you puff yourself up. So that's a line of dignity and I won't go through all them so so slowly, but then there's the width where it's like, how can I extend to other people? I felt that a hard one to feel at first. So there, I, I'm, I'm aware that some, some of these dimensions may be like, wow, what's, why is that connected to, you know, it, and then that's interesting. Cause then, you know, you're like, I'm like, I got my work to do. Right. I talked about community for me with was very hard to feel. And what happens is just is imagination helps a lot with that. It's kind of like, how do you reach out to other people? Where are you in that connection? And also, how can you set your boundaries is something in with. Mm. And they, they, it can be a, a concept, a thought, but it's really how do you experience it? Do you Can you relate to that from a felt sense? And then there's the depth, which is kind of the timeline with what's at your back, which is bigger than your personal history, right? It also becomes like how are you connected to ancestors? How are you connected to maybe nature? Everything that's there that can be a support to you and that that's there too. And then the center of that is kind of the heart, but then moving forward is like, what are you bringing into the world? What's your offer? And and how are you as you do that? Are you connected to self or are you kind of jumping over yourself and you're offering something because you know other people need it? Or can you relate it back to purpose, to to what's yours to do, which is the which is to be found in the heart? And I find it very cool that the heart has memory cells. I learned that from Amanda Blake. Uh, memory cells, where you know what we care about is a felt sense, right? It's not a we can we can think about what we care about, but when we feel into it, so something immediately pops up, right? When you connect to your heart. Um, that's the more extended version of getting present into your body. And even you can extend it, you know, you can, this is a practice. If you do this for the rest of your life, you can start to feel like, okay, the practice is this practice, but I change and you can start to feel reflected in the practice. Mm. It's super rich. It's so beautiful. I think that's also why I love this work so much because there is kind of a, it's ongoing and we're students of life, right? So it's it's not like I'm done. I've done the course. Now I'm done. No, that's kind of like okay. I know the basics, and now I need to now I need to work through it. And uh, for me, it's always been a great thing to then teach about it. Like I was teaching psychology after I was done with my school. I did yoga training. I was then I became a teacher, you know. And and this too because it's it helps kind of relive the process of learning by teaching other people and then deepening the, the how it lands in me, you know? So, yeah. I really yeah. appreciate that. Uh, your, your explanation there it was yeah. very helpful and I, I feel more ease in my system just, mm. just walking through it. And 
another reason that I asked the question is because I just, I remember when I encountered this practice, the centering in your length, your width, your depth and purpose, the amount of mind chatter that I had going on. And this, I think I took the power of embodied transformation course only about a year ago. Yeah. And the, so a lot of the sessions would start with a practice like this. And mm -hmm. sometimes there were five minutes, sometimes there were 10. And my mind would, would just be like running all over the place with, I just want them to tell me the information. I just need to learn some stuff here. And yeah. I think that it can help to identify yeah. that, that that was my starting point at the time. And the way that I relate to what is, like you said, the same practice, mm -hmm. I'm doing the same meditation over and mm -hmm. over and over again, but my relationship to my own soma and my own body and sense of self is constantly evolving. And so there's always a level of, it's an, a really beautiful blend of this routine with mm -hmm. the novelty of I'm always shifting and, and my purpose actually changes sometimes on a moment to moment basis where I think one of my, I don't know if it's a conditioned tendency, but one of my old come froms was that I needed to find my purpose. And then that was something I arrived at, like, all right, figured out my purpose. And like, let's, let's do that. Uh -huh. And yeah, the practices like this allow, I don't know a, a way to say it. There's, there's just a, a connection to moment by moment things are shifting and there's there's consistency and routine but there's also the ever-changing nature of life and and who we are there's something really comforting about a practice like that mm, yeah that's so interesting about your purpose do you want to share your purpose i'm curious what your what your what you would land on now mm. what would i say my purpose is my soon-to-be brother-in-law who at the time was my sister's boyfriend when mm -hmm. we were on a vacation together he bought me a mug and the mug says be the light on it mm -hmm. and i i like to think of that as my purpose on and being the light and that could take on many different forms but being the light could mean just being a bright spot in someone's day and paying someone a really beautiful compliment and that sense of connection connection is a really big word that comes up for me and belonging comes up a lot mm -hmm. and i sometimes look at being the light as shining the light on a marginalized population and paying attention where other people aren't to make sure that yeah. in this example a marginalized population is known it could be sharing knowledge that i think is going to improve people's lives but i really look at be the light as the the foundation for a lot of the things that really matter to me and yeah. yeah like seeing the brightness in people and being the light for myself like shining shining the light on parts of myself that I historically haven't liked giving myself immense appreciation when I want to give myself appreciation and that is I think my felt sense of purpose where it still happens a lot that my mind will like try and figure out something more grandiose and bigger than that. And it's like, be the light is too simple. I don't know that that can't be it, but I do mm -hmm. orient myself back that way a lot. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I really feel that. I love that. I, it has so many dimensions, right? It has so many facets. Mm. 
And like you said, you know, the chatter and the thinking, I think we all have that tendency, right? To like, but I would also say to, to think a lot, which can be a condition tendency in itself, right? When you mm-hmm. feel you're asked to slow down, you're asked to pay attention. And oftentimes what we're paying attention to, what we're feeling is not very pleasant. Oftentimes that happens, you know, that we feel it's kind of like, you know, when you're really tired and you don't really feel it or very restless and you just keep going and it's kind of like this almost frenetic energy maybe, right? And it's, it's, but if you then stop, it's like, I know I want to keep going because I don't want to stay here. It feels too unpleasant. I want to, if I may, I want to say something about that because yeah. It's often a misconception that when we center, we have to feel zen. Yes. Calm, nice, like everything's, you know, we're like in a in that state. And it's that's far from true. Because the real the real practice is to be able to be with what is. And because I feel like when people have that have that, you know, idea also with meditation, oh, I must be doing something wrong because I'm still thinking, or I feel so this, this, and that. And I shouldn't this be, you know, and then they're like, okay, this isn't for me, but it's, it's really the practice is to, we, we talk about building the container. If you see your body as a container, it doesn't have sharp edges because, you know, there's this connecting interconnectedness and oneness. But if you see the container and, and that you could, you could be, make that a little bigger in a way that what is disturbing you on the inside isn't, isn't like knocking you over, right? It's like, oh, okay, I feel that. And I can be with that, shine the light on, as you said, I like that. And then learn to be with this distract, you know, distraction without having to become reactive. So that's another way to look at that practice. It's like the practice is not to shift. Oh, I have to always stay present. I, I have to be present. I have to remain present or maintain presence. No, I mean, that's, that's, that's so impossible. Mm-hmm. It's like, can I, can I start to become really good at noticing and can I then be with what's there so that I don't have to build a shield over my shield and pretend I'm very calm while I'm actually kind of like fired up and yeah. So I, I think there's a, there's there's often this, it's uncomfortable, right? It's like, can you be in that discomfort? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like super uncomfortable. The the, the example I, I gave in the beginning of, of me sitting in that session and feeling very unsafe and like I wanted to leave and that was not a fun thing. I was sent. I think I was centering myself in that moment. Uh, we kind of say, you know, with the, uh, however many repetitions of the practice, it becomes an embodied thing. Meaning that it's not like I'm sitting. Oh, this is a moment to center. It's kind of like okay, my body feels that from this activation, that's a good place to go to. It becomes more of a of a new habit. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up because it is a very common misconception and it's a very common misconception for yours truly as well that I still very frequently look at meditation. I think there's two ways that it's a misconception for me and it seems that at a a bigger level too that it's a misconception. One is that like you named meditation is meant to clear away everything and not to what what I'm realizing more and more is that it's just to make space, like you said, for what is, that could be anger, could be grief, it could be joy, it could be my mind is just just needs to run all over the place for 15 minutes. And and that's okay. But I think what when you look at it, when you orient yourself that way, and what I have found for myself is that it no longer becomes something you do right or wrong, you just are making space in your life. and, And that's a beautiful thing. 
And I think uh, the other thing that I have, yeah, I've definitely fallen to the trap of thinking that meditation is just something that applies for the 15 minutes a day that I do it on my couch each morning. And then I just, my old patterns just continue to run my life, at least in the very beginning when I first started meditating like five years ago, it was just, oh, a lot of successful people are meditating and some even do it twice a day. So I would do like 7 a.m. and then 3 p.m. But the rest of the day, I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't really bringing any awareness to the way I was operating. And so I'm sure that that was, you know, maybe like the Zen master would say, yeah, that was just part of your development, Mike. You needed to go through that to realize that you get to practice meditation in every moment. You can always make space for what is and allow what is to unfold. But definite misconception, again, about meditation is that it is a practice that lives somewhere outside of your life. And then your life just kind of happens and unfolds as it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I see. I, I was going to say, I was going to say too, like it's, it may have been through the meditation that we, you were able to become aware that you weren't doing it. You know, it's like you yeah. had those moments and that may uh, be exactly what you've needed, right? It's that personal journey, you know, to bring awareness to the rest of your day. Cause yeah, no. And I think centering, you know, we call it centering meditation is kind of a prolonged centering it's it's almost like a it's like a slow motion like an extended slow motion of how am i if i'm if i'm just being me and nothing you know there's nothing where i can distract you can always distract yourself with thinking right but if i'm just with me where do i go what do i need to move through what do i need to work through what's what's there and i do i do feel meditation can often be a dissociative kind of practice where it's like oh i'm in this nice spiritual place and then there's nothing there. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe that's also really great, but I feel in the practice that I want to teach and bring is it starts with being embodied, being really deeply connected. And from that place, finding, you know, you can, you can then stretch out and find that connection to the oneness and being that spiritual kind of presence but it's like including you because you're part of the oneness. If you go out, right, there's where's where are you then in that story? So I found it a hard concept to practice for, you know, for years where we, we go from, okay, let's go from your thinking self to your feeling self, drop into your felt sense and then drop into that other thing and that that move towards the connection to oneness, if that makes sense at all as we're talking about it, it's kind of like, it's more like, can I let, you know, letting go? It's not a real action, mm -hmm. but I, I felt that super fascinating topic, you know, also with, I don't know if you, you listen to the, like Dan Siegel talks about that and has written in his book, aware a chapter on energy and then how he relates it to quantum physics. And I'm, I'm definitely not a expert in that, but uh, just so fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for indulging me for the first hour or so with the practices and different knowledge about embodiment and community, I know is something that you wanted to talk about. And now I welcome that we talk about community and its place in personal development, personal growth. Yeah, could you could you say a little bit more about why that isn't a live topic for you right now? Yeah. 
it's almost like you know if you and if you if you have that but looking at looking back at, at your own journey and maybe work life there's something of a growing up you know adulting maybe <laughs> towards like where are you and i feel i've reached a different phase now in my in my work life you know so from that perspective there's different perspectives but that's definitely part of it where i feel I like to work with groups and I was always a little little bit hesitant to bring myself into like, oh, I'm I'm offering this space for for a community of people to learn something about this topic. And it coincides with feeling that I kind of touched on that, that for me to be in a community and to learn in a community means that I open up and it's it feel feels sometimes very vulnerable and it feels there's something about that that I I, I just know that that's my edge in my own learning to be in, in the community session. And, and it's almost like, can I make space for myself or do I have to let everyone else go first? You know, it's kind of that kind of thing. So I find it personally very interesting. And I also know and, and learned that, you know, these these topics that I work with, which are kind of, kind of you know, it's kind of like, how do I live my life? I I have this program I work with, Live the Life You Aspire To, which is based on the fact that we often come, you know, find ourselves in our lives doing things that don't really fulfill us and we still keep on doing them. Now, I know it's also kind of a luxury and a privilege to be able to have choice there. So I just want to acknowledge that too. Not everyone has, to, you know, has that has that fortunate position that you can kind of choose your, your work life. But the people I work with do have that place where they can choose, do I want to stay in this profession or is something else better for me? But I find there's a lot of shaping and conditioning there too, where we live towards like what's expected of me. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, that, that question when sometimes there's a practice, if you look back at your life, if this were your last day, like how do you want to look back at your life? Where we can start to feel that more pressingly but as we live our life, we kind of feel we have we live it eternally for most of us, right? How often do you think, okay, this is how much time do I have left? And how do I want to use that time? Like you maybe would do when you're on vacation. It's like, oh, I got one week left. What do I want to do? But, yeah. you know, for your life, it's like similarly. So to address those really, I think, deep questions of life and and how how are we with that and I, for one, I feel not everyone has a community where they can be fully vulnerable, open, and be in touch with those kind of explorations, right? It's it's not, I, I just don't think everyone has that. I don't think everyone has that space where they can feel, listen to, feel that they can be vulnerable and that they can explore things about themselves that they may have never talked to anyone about. And I think that's that, that's what happens in at least community I'm holding. There's the place where, you know, I feel, I think we, I think we, and this is more maybe a little bit like a bigger thing about communities, but I feel that we're bad, pretty bad at living together. You know, if you look at how, well, how we're doing as humans with the planet, we're, we're bad at living together with nature. We don't feel we're part of it. There's something about sharing your story and hearing and listening to someone else's story that makes you more open and understanding and compassionate and empathetic about the whole. And 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 we are part, we are, we are the whole, right? It's not like we there's something out there and that's a whole, and then we're somewhere outside. And we do feel that a lot, I feel. So community also has that layer of what if what if a group of people come together and 
have a space where they can have real conversations also with people who, who may be different, right? Probably are different than you are and still be able to speak your truth and be, and be listened to and hear other people's truth. So there's, I think there's different streams why I feel the community space, it's a very personal one for me. Also kind of growing up in my profession, you know, I'm 55, like I'm, it's not like I'm 20, but still I feel, you know, sometimes there's this place where you feel like, oh, can I do this? You know, and I love it. I loved working in a, in a community setting, holding space, having people like open up the first session, putting their hearts out there, you know? Yeah. And then there's how, what is it like for the people, but also for the world, really? I don't know if you recognize that, but I, I just feel that those spaces are super important now. Yeah. It, it seems to play back a little bit to the seeing and being seen. Where in a, in a community, if the, if the right container is set, then you have, there's an intimate space and a kind of a collective intelligence there where you are able to see yourself through other people and other people are able to really see you. And I know something that you wanted to present in this conversation, which you started to allude to is that when we are disembodied, we're more likely to shield ourselves and to really move through our life from a place of lack and scarcity and without much attentiveness to what we want and and kind of unconsciously just going through the different layers that were piled onto us with mm -hmm. expectations of who we ought to be and who we should be. And one of the things I'm hearing in your response here is that community can allow us to, in being seen and seeing, we become more embodied, mm -hmm. more connected to who we really are and, and what mm -hmm. we really want. And when that happens, we are more connected to life in and of itself that yeah. we we have there's more care we don't have to convince ourselves that we need to make a difference in climate change and that we need to be a good person whatever that might mean to you and that we want to take care of animals and we need to recycle like these mm -hmm. things if we're embodied you can actually feel into it to to a certain extent yeah yeah I love how you put that. That's so awesome because it also, you know, it's like, it's almost like when you show up in the community like that, where you can, you can show up as your full self and you can kind of, this I have from the Enneagram program, I mean, well, what is right about you as kind of like how, do, when you step it, when you're looking at, I like the scarcity and abundance polarity, right? It's that you bring that up because there, there a lot of time when you're, you're overworked, overwhelmed, there's, you know, you have back-to-back -back calls, there's hardly time to breathe or even drink some water. I mean, it's very hard to to keep touching base with that centered, open presence, and so that your essence can shine. Right there's that light of your essence that needs some kind of openness and softness and compassion, and 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 of course we also have our shadows. Right there's light and shadow. So in the community session, I think what also happens is people can show up, you know, kind of almost. It's not a confession, but it's kind of like sharing about their shadow and and. You know, and still, because it's a that sometimes feels like a risky thing. Mm. And then finding like maybe for I mean, it's kind of religious talk. I'm not that, that religious at all, but like kind of giving forgiveness or grace for yourself, you know, in in terms of okay, yeah, I also sometimes am really pissed off and I I yell at people, you know, I 
I'm, I'm, when I coach people, I'm always super calm, of course. So when I say that to my coaches, they're like, well, you, you know, yes, I'm, you know, we are human and, and we sometimes try to hide and we've kind of touched on that before, but we sometimes, I think it comes back here of why community is so important that we can also show up with our shadow and we can still be loved, right? We can still, we still belong. It's not your bed and you have to go to your room when you you do something like that, right? It's like that isolating of, okay, if you if you show up like this, go away. We don't want to be in connection with you, which is actually I think pretty damaging. <laughs> it's like, yes. right? And and it's can I can you be so to be able to speak to that and to still feel okay, but I'm still here in this group and. I can even feel more connected to you and to the other people as I can share also my, my, my darker sides or my shadow. So I think the, yeah, how you phrased it made me realize it's also a lot about how can you allow people to live from their essence? And then the essence I would see as, you know, the unshielded, like the, 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 the part of you that is, it is vulnerable. So we do need shields sometimes, right? Those shields are not thrown away when you do this work. They're still there for you. You know, they come up automatically. You can't help it, but you don't have to keep them up. You can, you can decide to put, put them down now when you've done the, the embodied work. So, yeah, I think it's not always that communities are working with embodiment, but definitely for me, that's the, you know, I would say the work I do with the live your life, the life you aspire to is kind of like a crash course in embodiment, but then really framed from a perspective, are you leading the life that fulfilled you and gives you the ease and joy that you're looking for? Mm. Yeah. What would you say are the organizing principles of your life and, and of this community? Like what's, what's the life that you aspire to? Nice. That's that's actually an interesting question since I'm about to move continents. <laughs> and, mm. and I do find I also recognize I do find that a struggle or like a it's a challenging thing to uh, I'm not such a I'm not such a uh, like I'm not a bucket list person or or a planner or a you know for me it's more about I would say what I aspire to is that same thing to be able to connect to people from my essence so that I can show up fully so that I, I feel safe to show up for and, and can connect in a deeper way to the other person. That That's one thing. I find that super easy uh, in coaching settings because then I'm the coach and I, you know, I can be welcoming and we talk. So, but for me, when I'm, when I'm under pressure, I, I, you know, I have so many defenses up that I, I, I forget, I just can reach that place until I can, right? If until I get back to myself. But yeah. So I mean, I, I really thrive on like having like deep, meaningful conversations with people. So that's that's why I love this work, because that's always the case. And I am moving continents. I'm moving to South Africa. And luckily with Zoom, I can still keep doing my work. And and my son and daughter's already in Amsterdam and son is going to move out too. So it's going to be it's it's this year is really going to shift. A lot, lot is going to shift. I, I, my commitment is around, it's funny, I'll share it. It's kind of vulnerable. Uh, I'll share it with you because I have it right there. I'm looking at my uh, commitment. I, I, I phrased it and I'll tell you, I had two versions. The, the first version was, and I st it's still up there. I just crossed out a few words. It says, I'm ready to take that next step into my greatness. 
for the sake of healing the disconnect. And I think you can guess which words I crossed out because that's my careful one. Take that next step, right? So I uh, now I have I'm ready to step into my greatness for the sake of healing the disconnect. So I'm really, really passionate and dedicated to this work of embodiment. I think it's it gives it 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 helps on a personal level, and like I said, with you know talking about community, it helps on how you live with your loved ones, how you can be in conflict situations, you know, how you can deal with that more gracefully, how you can understand the other side, how you can understand you're activated and you need to kind of, you know, give some space to that and give some loving to that part of you that's so scared in that moment so that you can then, you know, show up again and, and, and connect first to self and then to the other it's a it's a way of living and it's i think it's also as you mentioned you know related to climate justice all all of that it's also a way our society can thrive in a different way if we uh, if we are all a little bit more embodied you can't feel your own feelings how are you going to feel for something else is what richard always says strozzi yeah yeah well it's not your first time moving continents i know that you moved to the us 10 years ago, I believe. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that must have been challenging. I don't think you knew many, if any, people in the U.S. And you were kind of starting anew. And I'm just wondering if you could speak a little bit to that experience, too. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, part of me was like we and we moved with my my husband. We moved for my husband's work. So I was like, I don't have anything to do. Can I just do what I want? You know, that sounded very attractive until I was kind of getting worth with drinking coffee and and visiting museums and going for walks. Yeah. And we had the the kids were then eight and 12. So they needed some help in the beginning. But yeah, I hardly knew anyone. It, It so happens I lived in Flint, Michigan for a year when I was 17. So my sister from that American family and brother, and and there were some friends, a, a very small group. But uh, other than that, like you know, I had my own business, and I didn't, I didn't have a work permit, and I and this kind of business with coaching and and uh, leadership development is network, right? You need to know people. So definitely, I was having to reinvent myself a little bit. I had the fortune fortunate you know, situation that I could do some training. So that's when I went to the Strozzi Institute. And I and I think it takes a lot of time. So we stayed for a decade. We were planning to stay two years. But if you start a new, in a whole new uh, country with, you know, it's, 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 it's similar, but it's so different also than the Netherlands. You know, there's like the codes for conversation, like what people say, the Dutch have a very direct way of communicating. So you kind of know, you know, what you get, but it's sometimes it's also a little too, di- too direct and blunt. And here I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of like smooth communication on first encounters where you feel like, oh, you know, but then, you know, it's like you also have a feeling there's not, you don't hear everything that's under the surface. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so there's, there's that, there's cultural differences, even just practical finding your way in a new city. I think for me, the doing the training and 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 having the luck to be able to re kind of, you know, learn something new. I I did do a, a yoga teacher training, so I was like on the embodiment journey, but not in the somatic way. And and I know I you know for me it's it's I'm uh, if we talk about abundance and scarcity, I kind of forget that like what I've done to get here where I am now, 
But I do realize I've, you know, I had the time I had 10 years, like I said, if you come here for a few years and you need to build up and you don't have anything, it's very hard. Mm-hmm. I've, I see that in my you know, community of other expats that are, you know, here for four years, it's just hard to, 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 to be able to do that. But, you know, I was able to build my business and, and get a good, you know, and, and, and know a lot of people have done a lot of training. Uh, so I, I feel moving to South Africa next. I'm already reaching out to people there and uh, talking to people there. And it might be a little easier to start anew there. Yeah. yeah. I imagine it will be given the uh, the different practices that we've spoken about today and, and the mm-hmm. different ways that you have. It seems like you're more and more comfortably standing in, in your power and and taking those mm. those big steps. And, and you've already built a successful business. And so those seem really translatable regardless of culture change and which of course you're going to be brushed with, but mm-hmm. yeah. 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 It's an exciting, exciting next step. And I'm sure it's bringing up a, a lot of other stuff for you. And it, it's cool to be able to explore it here in this forum. Mm-hmm. So I have uh, a few more things that I would love to go over with you. And yeah. one is just presencing the organization that you want to raise awareness for. We've yeah. spoken about Enneagram a couple yeah. times or at least made mention of it. And yeah. the organization that you want to raise awareness for is called the Enneagram Prison Project. So mm-hmm. I guess my question here is twofold. Could you speak a little bit to what the Enneagram is? And mm-hmm. could you speak to the organization of the Enneagram Prison Project? Yeah. Um, yeah, briefly about, about the Enneagram. I, I don't consider myself an expert yet, but I'm I'm studying with them. So it's uh, I'm I told you I'm I'm a psychologist. So I, I'm I you know I, and I taught psychology, and I've always I've always kind of resisted personality typing models or assessments. It's like you are in this box and you're in this box. So that's why I you know, I wasn't really drawn to it, but somehow I saw the Enneagram Prison Project come up on my in, in my inbox. And the fact that they work with, you know, the prison, they work in prisons with the Enneagram really drew me in because I, I, there was just something about that that I was like, what a, it's almost, you know, I feel like almost emotional because it's like, what a goodness for people to, to reach out to people that are kind of like pushed out of society, you know, for good reason, but they're still human and they're stuck there, you know, and how, and to work with them, I find that such a inspiring mission and the Enneagram is really a model. It's a it's a very, I think you'll like it because it's it's a very sophisticated and based on a lot of wisdom traditions. It's a very spiritual model. It's also very embodied because the way back is always through the body and through centering. But it's really how they talk about it is that we have an essence, and it, it won't sound it will sound familiar because I kind of talked about my work in that way, but they have an S we all have an essence as we are born with temperaments, like we mentioned a few times and then we we have these defenses and but there are nine types there's nine different ways that we are orienting towards the world and three of them are are kind of focused mostly on kind of the body types they say it's kind of the belly so you know there's there's a way to uh, that's how they perceive the world and how they move into the world and the heart and then head types so it's really, but it, the interesting thing is, this is not a model. There are some assessments, some good ones too, but there, it's it's basically what I like about the way they do it is that it's a self-discovery. It's like discovering, 
what resonates with you and how do you see yourself show up in the world? And and they they talk about how personality, so our personalities, how we show up as, you know, with those particular defense mechanisms. Personality is the box that we're in. And this model is about unboxing yourself. So it's kind of, for me, like reverse from most personality typing, where you're set in a box of being a type. This is about, but this is about how can you get back into and live the world? Well, it's, it really aligns with what I how I spoke about community. Mm. And uh, the organization, they because of COVID, they they started to do work online and they started to reach out also to people. They you know uh, not behind bars, so they work behind bars as they say it with, and it's a very it's it's just beautiful transformational work that is all about healing. And understanding that people are there for a reason that mostly stems from trauma, mm-hmm. right? And of course, there's different ways of, of dealing with trauma. And, and Gabor Mate is, what not, is on the board of the Enneagram Prison Project. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, his book, The Myth of Normal, definitely should read that because it's, it's so amazing. It's just a societal issue that they are taking a stand for. Like, we're not forgetting the, the people because they're behind bars. We need to work with them. If they want to, right, they, they get sessions and they work on the same program I'm in now. And they are uh, definitely worth a donation, I would say. And there's a, I don't know if you can maybe post the link of Susan, Susan Olasek, the founder of her TED Talk, because, you know, she can speak to it way more beautifully than I can do now. But I am really impressed with their work. And um, through doing these open offers for me, people like me that are interested in doing the exploration for themselves, they also, you know, that that money gets also f- fed back into uh, the work they do behind bars. And and people from that or from that have, you know, come back to living a free life, not behind bars. They are also working with the um, EPP, so they have they are ambassadors and they uh, they help us learn about the enneagram as well. Well, I'll certainly be donating and uh, linking to it in the show notes. I'll be linking to Susan's TED Talk as well. And all the other names and resources, Gabor Mate, The Myth of Normal, Dan Siegel, et cetera, I'll be linking in the show notes for sure. Yeah. And it's it's reminding me of, there's a documentary. I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen it in the last six months or so. It's called The Work. And it takes, I believe, four civilians from different walks of life and brings them into a, I forget what the prison is, please forgive me, but I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. And it's basically a four day inner work intensive that the four civilians are privy to being in on in the, in the, in the prison. And the, the people that were imprisoned were, they committed heinous crimes. I mean, they, it was sometimes murder, you know, like the, the most vicious attacks that you could have on another person, rape, really brutal. Yeah. And in the documentary, you can see the way that when someone is allowed to express themselves fully. So in the case of, let's just say someone who murdered their parent or something. Yeah. If he was able to channel that anger in a in a safe enough way where, you know, the, the group container, talk about the power of community, like yeah. he was being held, he was being seen, his anger was allowed to be moved through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would inevitably and invariably happened was the, it would go from really like rage anger to 
immense tears and grief and moving through the grief. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then there's like that, that love that's forged. I don't know, really know another way of saying it that mm -hmm. you could just see the whole entire room is, is connected together. Yeah. And I think that one of the many forms of othering that we do as a society is we think that prisoners are, you know, they need to be siloed and kept away. And like you said, there's, there's good reason that, that punishments are being mm -hmm. given. Yeah. And also we can, from things like this and from the Enneagram project that you're speaking to, it's, it's more than evident that underneath every human is really just someone who wants to be fully expressed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm definitely going to look that up, the work. Mm -hmm. And 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 then to relate it back to Gabriel Mate, he talks about healthy anger, right? A healthy expression of anger. It's like anger is such an emotion that you know brings up a lot of containment. Like you know, you don't you know don't get angry. Da, da, da. I've I said that to my son many times. Like you know, but there's something about being able to have a healthy expression of anger, and to bring it back to like the somatics. You know, it's it's also an, it's. Uh, you can be centered in your anger and then have that healthy ex expression. So that kind of comes together in that way, you know, feeling like what's at the essence of that? What's important to me? What is being, you know, what's being done that I feel I need to speak to. Mm -hmm. And then you can have a response, you know, you know, you can still raise your voice, but there's, you know, there's different ways of expressing your anger in healthy or unhealthy ways. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, I, oh, that, I'm, def I'm curious about the documentary. Thanks for sharing that it's amazing and it, it's really moving and it, it yeah. might, some people might not be ready for it. So I guess consider that a warning that it's, it's very heavy yeah. stuff that is being worked through. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Marietta, is there anything that we haven't spoken about thus far today that you would like to bring in the conversation now? I, I know that there's so many other influences of who you are and your work, but it feels like it's been a, a pretty rich exploration. I'll, I'll hand it over to you if there's anything that feels important to you to share. Yeah. I don't, I don't actually think so. I felt, I probably know tomorrow, you know, but it's like, <laughs> there's always more, but I feel very complete and I feel very seen and, 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 uh, and listened to and heard, you know? So yeah, it, it's been, it's nice to have so much, you know, so much time to uh, kind of explore this together. And I felt, you know, resonation, resonating with you on, on how, you know, on these topics. So very grateful for the time. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. You're very welcome. And there's there's a million different things that we could have kept zooming more in on. I'm, I'm fascinated by healthy expression of what we would consider negative emotions, but we'll, yeah. put, a, we'll put a pin in that for now. Yeah. <laughs> so I just have a couple more kind of more rapid fire in nature questions. Oh, you sure. don't, don't need to have short answers, but they're just quicker questions. Mm -hmm. What's an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy? Hmm. Well, I had one yesterday when I, I had a, I had a kind of, I had a migraine, I had a pretty deep headache and then my son comes home. And then when I say that to him, that he comes sits uh, next to me and he starts to massage my head and that gives me, like, a, apart oh. from the relaxation, it's uh, yeah, that kind of sweetness is like really joy for me. <laughs> mm, that's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a good head rub. That's like one of my favorite <laughs> things in the world is a back scratch or a head rub. Yeah. Where do you feel this? This is a big question, but where do you feel most unfinished or what your big
biggest edges? I, in some ways you've answered this, but I, I like asking directly. Yeah, I think it's in that place of self-expression. Yeah, I, I actually started, I started, to, a friend of mine went to singing classes and I, I was so excited about it. I had them before and I've sing, sang in choirs a little bit. And I, and then I wanted to work one-on-one -on -one with the teacher as well. And, and I said to her, you know, it's for me, like when I sing a song, I sing it like it, I know it from the record, but I want to give my own version and I want to you know express myself through singing, which is a very vulnerable thing to do. So it's definitely about like, self-expression and really, you know, leaning into like the greatness, but the greatness is, I mean, the greatness is also my, you know, my small human being, but it's, can I be in myself and then express, you know, walk through life from that place. So I think I got, I, I'll work on that some more. Beautiful. Yeah. If you had to recommend two or three books or maybe books that you've most gifted, given away to people, you've already mentioned the myth of normal, which is right downstairs for me. I haven't read it yet, but I, I have it on one of my tables. Yeah. It would be maybe another book or two. It doesn't have to be limited to that, but books that yeah. you recommend. So here comes my really bad memory, but I have a stack, a stack there. Because I do feel if, if people are curious about more about embodiment and, and uh, I definitely, there's two books. Like one is Richard's book, I think it's called, it's not right there, Embodying the Mystery. It's his last book, the latest book he wrote, because that's really his shaping history. So that's if, if you're like, okay, can I learn more about shaping history and how, and, and then also about how embodiment helps. And it's just a fascinating read to, uh, to, to read about his journey and also deepen the knowledge about embodiment. And then there's also The Politics of Trauma, from St the Stacey Haynes book, which I really, really appreciate because it, it has a social justice lens, which is also her lens and her work. But it also, I also feel she does a really good job at explaining kind of the, the essence of the somatic principles. And then, I don't know if someone, I don't, there's not, I'm just looking around my room because like there's, I'm, I'm, I have to say, I'm a person that reads 10 books. Like at this, I, I, it's for me, you know, because I'm also reading. Kessler's book on uh, personality, um, it's kind of how energy runs through, I, th I don't even know the title, but energy runs through our body. I have to tell you what the title is because it's in my e-reader, so I can't see it here. Who's but the author, you said? Kessler? Kessler, Stephen Kessler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is very somatic. It's, uh, there's some, but he kind of says there's five five ways your the energy can move th moves through your body as you could say that's kind of the temperament of our energy system. And it's related to with, you know, moving away towards against disappearing. But he has another lens on that, which I find. And there's another one, just a, some, a book I haven't read fully. It's very thick. It's by Etty Hillisum. I don't know if you know her. She was a, I would say, a mystic, a spiritual guide. She, um, she was a Jewish woman living in the Netherlands during, you know, Second World War and was killed by the Nazis in, uh, in a concentration camp. Her book is just amazing. I think it's called The Work. It's definitely translated in English. It's her uh, diary and her letters. Yeah, such a if you if such a rich internal life, you know, such a and, and such a beautiful way she expresses like what it is to be human and and also her way of dealing with the threat of the of the you know, of of being Jewish in the Second World War, she somehow knew how to rise above 
like she wasn't hating on on the people that would potentially kill her. She was able to still, you know, if you talk about how to reach the compassion and love under pressure. Yeah, this is this is an example of someone who has a natural capacity. Almost, you know, you would almost sometimes say almost naive, but also very because we're so not used to to having that open heart, even when your your life is in danger. Yeah, that's it's a very different book than the other ones I talked about, but I I would say you definitely would love that book. Yeah. It certainly sounds that way. That was the one that I had the most draw to immediately, although I, I'm interested in all of those books that you named. So yeah, I will I'll make sure that I link to all of that. And like I alluded to before, all the names in the show notes, I'll also make sure that I link to your website, your LinkedIn, any other place that folks can connect with you. And the final question that I ask every interview, the podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning. And I would love to know in your words, what does it mean to live a meaningful life? Hmm. Well, it's, I, I love that title. And what I, what I would say is that what it means is that it's a, I like the word search because it's really, you know, it's, it's almost like every day there's it, the meaning of life kind of has a way to present itself. There's some there. I like this, the word search because there's something active in it. It doesn't, doesn't land on your plate, right? There's something, there's some interact interaction necessary to search for it. And it's what, you know, for me, it's what makes makes life beautiful, what makes life hard, what makes life worth living is that, you know, to really find that meaning. So I don't think I've discovered the meaning of life. And I think the search will be until, you know, my last day. But I, I do enjoy the process of searching, you know, I think that gives me a lot of fulfillment to make sense of things. Yeah. It's a, a very meta answer. It's like the, the meaning of life is to keep searching for the meaning of life and to to make that commitment, right? To just keep living into it yeah. and, and allowing it to continue to unfold. And that's as good an answer as any. So yeah. <laughs> Marietta, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on. And as I named in the very beginning of the conversation, there's that energy that you're transmitting. And it sounds like it's being it's reciprocal that we're, we're both kind of feeding off the safety that we're establishing with each other. And I feel really seen when I'm with you too. And I, it's, it warms my heart that you felt seen in, in this conversation. So I, I really do appreciate the way that you view the work that you're doing, the community that you're creating and the, the vulnerability in sharing things that are really up for you right now that, uh, that are a little bit raw and that of course are unfinished and, and not figured out that I think is a better, a much better gift in my estimation than someone standing from some mountaintop and sharing. Yeah. Like this is, this is the thing I figured it out and who's, who's coming with me. Uh, so yeah. it, in many ways, just being along on each other's journey here, I think is one of the best gifts that we could give both to each other and to anyone who's tuned in and yeah. And I appreciate all the all the ways that we landed and connected together here today. Yeah, awesome. I don't think I'm going to say anything more because that that sounded so good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. Really, truly appreciate it. It was yeah. an absolute pleasure. And, and to anyone who's tuned in, to all the listeners, I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day or evening. 
take good care. Lots of love. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.